0: Merry Christmas, or almost Merry Christmas. I hope you're excited about this Christmas season. You know, it's amazing that there's traffic jams. You know, people trying to get into stores and different places. 2,000 years later, after something that happened. And who could imagine that a baby being born in another country, you know, so long ago... Would cause all the commotion that takes place, all the commercialism, all the TV shows that come out during this time, all the gifts and giving, everything about what happened two thousand years ago. It's amazing they it can make an impact, and that that event that happened two thousand years ago, we talk about it every day. We might not realize it. But every time you say something like 2017, you're saying 2017 years of the Lord, since the Lord came. Or even if we're talking about something in the past B.C., it's referenced to that day that Jesus was born. So we talk about it all the time. It's a reference point for our whole calendar, for everything that we do. is referring back to this day that we're celebrating tomorrow. We've been studying through Philippians together as a church, and Philippians chapter 2 has a great explanation of Jesus and Christmas time and what it's really all about. Number one in your notes the relevance of Christmas, God came to earth. When the Allies in World War II invaded Normandy, that was big news. But it's nothing compared to God invading the earth. When man landed on the moon, That's pretty big news. But it's nothing compared to God landing on earth. And that's why we celebrate this time. It's about God coming to earth. In Philippians 2, 5, and 6, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. In Philippians, it talks about Jesus is the very nature of God here on earth. The Phillips translation words it like this. He had always been God by nature. So, we're talking about a day that we're celebrating because God chose to reveal himself to mankind by coming to earth. Now, some people say Jesus is a great prophet. I'd say, yeah, he is. People say he's a good man. Yes, he is. But the problem that people have is him being God. Him being God. He himself claimed to be God. Which would tell me, if he's not God, then I have to struggle with the idea of, is he really a good man? Because why would a good man claim to be God if he's not? And I would have to struggle with the idea of him being a prophet. He'd be a false prophet. If he's calling himself God and he's not God, he's a false prophet. So he's a liar. He could be a lunatic. You know, but if he says he's God, we can't reject that and still call him a good man and a great prophet. He's a false prophet, a liar, or he's a good man, a good prophet, you know, not a false prophet, and he's God. It's one or the other. It can't be any other way. Here's how Paul talked about it in Colossians. He worded it like this. Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. He existed before God made anything at all. And in fact, Christ himself is the creator who made everything in heaven and earth. So the Bible makes it very clear who Jesus is. He is God. He is the creator who made everything. He's the exact likeness of the unseen God. We don't see God, but we totally understand him because when he came to earth as a man, Jesus, we can relate to a person. This vague idea of a God out there somewhere, how do I connect with that? How can it be personal to me? But a human being is somebody that can understand. I can relate to studying about someone like Abraham Lincoln. I can understand him. I can relate to it because he's a person. I can relate to God now because of Jesus. The fact that God was willing to come to earth as a man, it allows me to be able to connect with him and relate to him Here's how John um, wrote it, the disciple John. He said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Then he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. It's, the word is talking about Jesus. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. So what is this saying? In the beginning was the word, which is Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So he's with him, and he is God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. People have a hard time understanding this concept of when you read the Bible, it talks about the Father being God. talks about Jesus being God. talks about His Spirit. We call the Holy Spirit being God. talks about there's three gods, but then it says, no, 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 there's only one. It's really confusing. The way I've got my mind around that is water, H2O. I can experience it. As steam, something I breathe in. I can experience it as ice, something I can walk across a lake if it's frozen. You can, you can walk on water, by the way. It just has to be frozen first. And water, something I drink. I can breathe in steam, but you don't want it to breathe in water. They're all the exact same thing. But I experience them in three totally different ways. There's only one God. Father, Son. And spirit, they're the exact same thing, but we experience them in three totally different ways. So Jesus was with God, that Jesus was God, and he came to earth and dwelt among us. He became a human being. Jesus once said, when he was talking to the people, he said, Before Abraham existed, I am. He used a present state. And he used the exact same words that God used to describe himself. Because when they said to Moses, who sent you? Moses said, I am sent me. That was God's name. I am. So he's saying, before Abraham existed, I am. When the Jewish people heard him say that, they picked up stones and tried to kill him. stone him to death, but he escaped. Why were they trying to kill him? Who are you to call yourself God? Some people say, Jesus never called himself God. He did several times. It's all through the scriptures. So that's. Christmas is about. It's about we're celebrating that God came to earth. Now that's worth celebrating. It's not that big of a deal that this man was born there 2,000 years ago in a foreign country. It's not that big of a deal unless it's God. Unless it's God. Now that's something that we can have traffic jams over. God came to earth. Wow, let's celebrate. Number two, the reality of Christmas. God became a man. That's even more difficult to understand. Come on. If you were God and you were going to come to earth and reveal yourself, would you choose to come as a baby and be born? Maybe I'll come as a baby and I'll be born in this royal palace. But would you choose to be born in a stable, a barn, in a feeding trough? That's where they laid him. Is that what you would do? That's what he did. He came as a baby. I'll tell you what, we might be scared to death if God revealed himself to us right now. Whoa. But no one's scared of a baby. He came as a baby. He came just like you and I did. Philippians 2, 7 and 8 says, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. The God of the universe came as a servant to service. He didn't come as, you know, part of royalty, bow down, bow down to me. He was washing the disciples' feet. He was doing the opposite of what we would expect. You know, if a leader of a country, if the president of the United States or whoever came in this room, we would probably think, oh, we need to, like, you know, show him a lot of respect. He's the leader, that type of thing. Well, he's doing the, the opposite. Jesus is there washing their feet. He's there serving them. And they're thinking, well, wait a minute. Shouldn't we be serving you? And he says, if you don't let me serve you, you can't have any part of what I'm about. Because he was about being humble. He was about being gentle. He was about serving others. It was that type of attitude. Philippians 2.8 says, he became like men and was born a human being. Just like us. The reality of Jesus being a man. I know this. The encyclopedia talks more about Jesus and what he did on earth as a man than anybody else. So if people struggle with the idea of Jesus being man. Well, that's the given. He was a real human being that lived on earth. And the thing is, was he God? Yes, he was God. Now, why would he be willing to do this? But why would God be willing to humble himself and become a man? Because he wants to communicate to us. That's his love. He loves us so much he wants to be in a relationship with us. He wants us to understand him. He wants you to be able to know God and his character. I can study Jesus' life and I can know exactly what Jesus was about. Because you can study in him saying things like, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. See, with him being a a human being that walked on earth teaching us, you can 100% understand the character of God. But without that, do you know what type of things people think about God? They think things like you do something wrong and he's ready to zap, you zap. That's what people think. Why? They don't know Jesus. If you knew Jesus, you could never think that way about God. All these weird ideas that people have about God, that he's angry, that he wants to you know, get even with you, he's, you know, he's upset with you, you can only believe that if you don't know that Jesus is God. If you know Jesus is God, you know what God's personality is like. You know he's loving. You know he's forgiving. You know he's caring. You know he's gentle. And then you have the right view of who God really is. How is Jesus like us? Well, number one in your notes there, he was born like us. Like, you know, every person on this earth was born. We were all babies at one time. The history of the world rested in this one fragile baby. I wonder what the angels thought. Like, wait a minute, God, what are you doing? You're going to come to earth as a little baby? Just born in some remote little town that no one would care about? And that's where God chooses to go? Jesus didn't start... Uh, being, a, being God, Jesus didn't start being God when he was born. He always existed. He became a man. And at the same time, he didn't stop being God when he became a man. It wasn't like he's God and now he's a man. And he's not like Hercules, half God, half man. That's how the story is of Hercules. He's half God, half man. He's 100% God in a 100% human body. That's who he was. And then it says, He grew like us. In Luke 2 52, He grew like us. Jesus increased in wisdom. That means when He was a baby, He didn't have the same amount of wisdom that He had as a three year old. And that meant that when He became 10, He had more wisdom. And when He was 15, He had more wisdom than He did with, as 10. Why is that? Because He's a real human. He wasn't born a superhuman, He was born a real human. It says he increased in wisdom and stature, in favor with God. And man, that means his relationship with God grew over time. Wow. How can that be? His relationship with God the Father grew over time. How can that be? Because he was a real human. That's why it was hard for people in his hometown to accept him. They said, Isn't that the carpenter's son? Isn't that the kid that we grew up with? How can he be God? It just doesn't make sense. Because we know him. Other people accepted him. But people that grew up with him, it was a stumbling block to them because they knew him as a kid down the street. He never sinned. He never did anything that would be wrong. But he was so human, it became a mental block to them that he could possibly be who he claimed to be. Number three... He was tempted like us. Hebrews 4.15 says he was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. So all of us have gone through temptations. And we've all given in to temptations. We've all experienced guilt. And then you go to him and you talk to him and he understands. We don't worship a God that does not understand what you're going through. He's been tempted in every way that we have. It says he never sinned. He never gave into the t- temptation. But the point is, the Bible says he's like a high priest that understands what we go through. He can sympathize with us in our weakness because he understands. So when you're praying to God, you know he gets it. Oh God, I gave into this temptation. You, you, you feel bad. You feel like a loser. And God says, I understand. I, I've been there. I know what temptation is like, I understand that, that struggle. It helps to pray to a God that understands and has sympathy for you. And fourth, he suffered like us. He felt pain, disappointment. The Bible talks about how he got tired and fatigued and sat down. He felt lonely. He grieved when, his, uh, when Lazarus, a friend of his, died. In Matthew 26, 38, it says, The sorrow is so great it almost crushed me. That was something that Jesus was saying. He understood sorrow, and he felt that crushing feeling when you've been deeply, emotionally hurt. So he knows your pains, your problems, your pressures. So God understands, no matter what you're going through, God understands. If you're depressed, he understands. He's not mad at you. If you are struggling with whatever feeling you're struggling with, whatever pain you're going through, he understands he's been there. Number three, this is the reason for Christmas. Jesus came to die. He was born, but ultimately he came to die. In Philippians 2.8 it says, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus didn't stay in the crib. He eventually went to the cross. He laid down his life for us. He didn't have to. He could have called down 10,000 angels. They would have stopped it if he wanted to. He could have prevented this from happening. Why would he be willing to go to the cross for us? Well, there's two reasons. One, to demonstrate God's love. Romans 5, 8 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God wanted us to know how much he loved us. How much does God love you? What does this mean? Well, I sin and you sin, and the Bible says that separates us from God. Our sin separates us from God. Since we all sin, we're all separated. That's bad news. That's the bad news, right? There's no way that I can get to God. I'll never be good enough. But what does he do? He loves us so much. He, God himself, comes to earth as a man. He takes all of the penalty of our sins upon himself, and he dies on the cross, paying off the penalty. Paying off the penalty. In your notes, number two, to pay for my sins. See, if if you break a law, maybe a driving law, maybe you're speeding, whatever, if you break a law, there's a penalty that you have to pay. It's the same way with God. If you break God's laws, there's a penalty involved. And since we all break God's laws, since nobody's perfect, since nobody's good enough to reach perfection, our faith is in Him being good enough to reach us. And that's the whole message of the Bible. The message is, No matter what you've done, no matter what you feel guilty about, no matter what regrets you have, no matter what shame you're carrying, God loves you so much that he came to earth, he paid off the penalty by dying on the cross. So your penalty's paid. You're forgiven. No matter what you've done, everybody's forgiven. No matter, you know, no matter what it is, he loves you that much. He came to pay off the penalty of your sins. That's a great love that God has for us. Sometimes we can be upset with God and say, God, why did you allow me to be in a situation like this? Or why do you let me be in a situation like that? And we can have resentment toward God. And then God says, but he himself came to earth and died and paid off your penalty. You're free. You're forgiven. He's saying, I died for you. Not some sort of, you know, child like Jesus is the son of God only, not understanding that that means he's God. You know, but that God himself came and died on the cross for you. And 1 Peter 2, 24, it says this. He personally carried the load of our sins in his own body when he died on the cross so that we can be finished with sin and live a good life. Isn't that great? 2,000 years ago, God took our sins on the cross so that today you and I could be forgiven. Nobody in this room can say, you don't know how bad I am. I've done this. I've done this. I'm never going to be good enough to have a relationship with God. But let me tell you what. I'm never going to be good enough to have a relationship with God either. Praise God he's good enough to have a relationship with me. Praise God that it's his goodness that made that relationship take place. He died on the cross for our sins. The angel said, unto you this day is born a Savior. What is a Savior? Maybe you've been swimming and you got way out there in the water somewhere and you start struggling and you feel like you're drowning. What do you need? You need a Savior. You need a Savior. But maybe you're way out there in the ocean and you don't understand that you're in trouble. You don't understand that you don't have the ability to make it back to shore. So you know, oh, I'm kind of far away. I maybe need to do something about this. But you still can't tell the way the waves are going, the way the current's going, the way the tide's going. There's no way that you're going to get in. So what happens? You don't feel like you need a Savior. Oh, I can handle this. That's the problem with us. Believe me, we need a Savior, but sometimes we don't think we feel like we need one. I have a hard time believing that God would send us a Savior if we didn't need one. I have a hard time believing that God would go through all that effort to come to earth, be born, to struggle in this life, to die on the cross for everybody, but you're the exception. You don't need a Savior. That's for other people. No, He came to be your Savior. We need a Savior. I need a power greater than myself. One of the things I like about groups like AA is they might not focus on the Jesus story. But what I like about them is they, they reach that point in their recovery that they have to say, you know what? I need a power greater than myself. That's the turning point. There's a lot of people that don't know that they need a power greater than themselves. You don't have to have an alcoholic problem to understand that you need a power greater than yourself. You don't have to have your life all turned upside down before you realize, I need a power greater than myself. Everybody needs a power greater than themselves. We all need God in our life. Jesus came to earth. He grew up, had pains, pressures, temptations, died on the cross, but it didn't end there. He rose back to life. That's what Easter is about. If Jesus said, hey, I'm God, I'm going to die for your sins. Then he dies, and he's dead, and we go visit his tomb. We put roses on his grave. You know what that means? He's just a dead guy. Doesn't mean anything. The whole thing that proved that he was God is Easter. That was the whole point, is he died, and then he came back to life to prove it. He came back to life. If Jesus didn't rise again on Easter, we're the most foolish people in the world celebrating his birth. The whole thing is the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there is no celebration of his birth because he's just a dead man. So he came and he rose back to life. Do you know they say that even today, I don't know if this is true, but when you're in Israel today, tons and tons of people go and visit the cave that he was buried in. Today, and they go... And here's what they say when you ask them. It's kind of interesting. How do you know for sure that this is the cave Jesus was buried in? You know what the answer is? It's empty. <laughs> that's our answer. It's empty. We know for sure this, it's an empty one. There's no dead people inside there. It's the only grave that's empty. And that's what they say. That's, that's what they'll say to you. So I don't know if it's commercialism. I don't know how much I can trust that. But the point is, his grave is empty. His grave is empty. He rose back to life. He ascended to heaven. Here's the fourth result of Christmas. Jesus is Lord. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Now you think, wow. God gave Jesus the name that's above every name. What is that? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess That Jesus Christ is Lord. The cross is not the end. The cross is not the end. He's alive as we know. There's two results in this verse. Those who humble themselves will be lifted up. Those who lift themselves up with pride will be humbled. God's done two things. He has given him a place of honor in the universe. You can fill that in. He's given him a place of top honor in the universe. He's honored above all else, and, it's, and he's given him, number two, a new name. The name Jesus, it means the Lord saves, but it's the Greek version. The New Testament, by the way, was written in Greek. That was the written language at that time. That's why when you say the name Jesus, and you say, well, that's not really a Jewish name, is it? Well, it's the Greek way of saying that name. The Jewish name is Joshua. That's the exact same name. So Jesus' name is really Joshua. But they wouldn't say it like that. They would say Yeshua in their t- at their time. Okay? So it was really a very common name like John is today. It's just a, a, it's a very common name. So, But Joshua or Yeshua or Jesus, if you say it in the Greek way, it means the Lord saves. That's his name. The Lord saves. He came to save us. He was given other names. In the Bible, it calls him Wonderful Counselor. It calls him Mighty God. Talking about Jesus, it calls Jesus Mighty God. It calls Jesus Everlasting Father. What does that mean? Everlasting Father. Jesus is the Everlasting Father. It calls him Prince of Peace. That's the Son of the King. Meaning like this: when you say Son of God. It calls him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So they say, this is Emmanuel. What are they saying when you hear that? This is God with us. That's what that means. See, if you hear these words, but if you don't know the meaning of the words, it's just like, oh, that's Emmanuel. That's cool. What does that mean? It means God with us. But when he rose from the dead, now it calls him Lord. Jesus is Lord. What does does that word mean? Well, it meant like master, ruler, number one, the one in control, total sovereign, king. Over 600 times... It calls Jesus Lord. He's called Lord more than anything else. Now, the significance of this is in that time in the Roman Empire, they would say Caesar is Lord. Why would they say Caesar is Lord? Well, they did worship Caesar. They saw him as the master. They saw him as the ruler. They saw him as number one. They saw him as the one in control. They saw him as totally sovereign. They saw him as their king. And it was against the law To call anybody else Lord. And what happened is, for Christians, it's against our faith to call anybody else Lord. Jesus is our only Lord. Jesus is Lord. So what would happen is, people were coming to faith in Christ and saying, Jesus is Lord, and they were thrown to the lions. And they were set up as torches to light up the city at night. And they were sent to the gladiators. And thousands and thousands of Christians died. Because of a phrase that they would use. Because they refused to say, Caesar is Lord. They would say, no, Jesus is Lord. And it meant their death. So what does it mean to say, Jesus is Lord? Well, one, in your notes, I acknowledge that he really is God. I'm saying, he's God. I'm saying, Caesar's not God. He's just a man. Jesus is Lord. He's God. It was a statement of faith. B, I believe that he has everything under control. I don't believe that Caesar has everything under control. He's just a man. I believe God is in control. Can you imagine that you would be put to death by saying that? Put to death by saying, I believe God is in control, and it's not you, Caesar, because I believe that God is bigger than you. It's a faith statement. God's in control. Jesus is in control. You know, life gets bleak sometimes. But as a Christian, we say, but Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? Like, oh, but God's in control. He's going to work it out. If you believe Jesus is is in control, you say that. You believe he's going to work it out. If you don't believe Jesus is Lord, you don't believe he's going to work it out, and you just stress out, and you do everything you can. You worry, and you worry, and nothing gets better other than your health goes down. When you say Jesus is Lord, I don't know what the new year holds, but I know who holds the new year so I can relax. If Jesus is Lord, I don't know what's going to happen in the new year, but I know that He's in control. So I have confidence, I have faith to not be afraid to go forward. Then see, I commit all of my life to Him. When you're saying Jesus is Lord, you're saying He calls the shots, He's the one. He has the right to determine what I do with my life. When you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying I don't have the right to determine. What I do with my life. I have the free will to choose. But if Jesus is Lord, I'm saying I'm giving up my free will to follow His will for my life. Which means I'm making a commitment at that point. If Jesus is Lord, I'm making a commitment to treat my wife the way God wants me to. That's what it means. I cannot say Jesus is Lord, not treat my wife the way that God wants me to. I'm saying I'm going to raise my kids the way God wants me to. I can't say Jesus is Lord and then not treat my kids right. I'm going to run my business the way God wants me to, which means I can't say Jesus is Lord and be a corrupt businessman. I've got to handle it with integrity. When you're saying Jesus is Lord, it affects every relationship that you have because now you're saying I've given up my way of my rights of how I want to do it in order to do it your way, God. Because a lot of times, the way I want to do it isn't right. Have you ever wanted to say the wrong thing or out of anger do the wrong thing toward your husband or wife? Of course. You know, you get angry. We want to do those things. And we give in because we're sinners. We do it sometimes. Have you ever responded to your kids in a way that you know isn't right? That's not the way I should have handled this. We all do that, right? Because we're all failures. None of us are perfect. That's why we need a God. But what you're saying as a Christian is you're saying, I don't want to do that. To the best of my ability, I want to raise my kids right. So you're really trying. Why why would you try? Why are you trying so hard to be a good dad? Why are you trying so hard to be a good husband? Why are you trying so hard to be a good wife? Because Jesus is Lord. Meaning because I believe I'm supposed to do it his way. I want to do it His way. By the way, your parents are never going to get it right 100%. Okay? We all know that. the parents never get it right 100%. But what's great is you have parents that they're trying. They're trying. They're giving it their best shot. That shows their heart. Look at Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to be a Christian, a believer? What does it mean to be saved? Jesus is Lord. I acknowledge him. He's God. He's got things under control. I'm giving him my life. Philippians said that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. That means all the arrogance in the world that puts itself up against Christ, all the denial, the pseudoscientific, psychological, philosophical arguments Against God, they're all going to fail. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That means on Judgment Day, every nationality, every age, every male, every female, every religion, every politician, every scientist, every crook, every professor, every rock star, every athlete, every homemaker, every businessman, they're all going to say, Jesus is Lord. It's just everyone. It's not an issue. It's not an issue of, am I going to confess Jesus is Lord? That's not an issue. Am I going to? It's just when. It's just when. Am I going to confess Jesus is Lord now because I have a love relationship with him? Out of love and honor and respect toward God? Or am I going to confess it later? But everybody's going to confess it. Every knee's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess that Jesus is Lord. I think one of the things that America needs right now is to rediscover what that means, that Jesus is Lord. That I'm here to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. Isn't that what it would show out in your daily living? That's what we're here for. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we did that, the problem's almost all the problems would be solved. The problem is that we don't do that. We're resisting that. We work against that. I can't be responsible for what the government does. I can't even be responsible for what happens at work with with what people do. But I can make sure that I'm living that way. If I choose to love God, if I choose to love people, I can walk down the path that God's called me to walk down. We can do that no matter what anybody else does. When you're discouraged and you're tired and you're worried and you're afraid, remember Jesus is Lord. You're going to get through it. He's in control. When you're grieving, remember Jesus is Lord. When you feel like I can't cope, remember he's in control. He's in control. He's bigger than my circumstances. He's bigger than my problems. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's what Christmas is ultimately about. It's not just about a baby being born 2017 years ago, whenever the exact year is. It's not really about that. It's ultimately about who it was. God came to earth as a man to pay off the penalty of our sins so that ultimately he could be Lord of my life. He could change the way I live He can turn a selfish person like me into someone that's now striving to love God and striving to love you and striving to love others. He can take a selfish person like me and turn my life around. That's what it's about. That's the real reason that we're celebrating tomorrow. Let's pray. Lord, as we celebrate Christmas, Christmas Eve tonight and Christmas Day tomorrow, Help us to recognize what Christmas really is. Help us to celebrate that God came to earth, that he came to die to pay off the penalty of our sins so that we could be forgiven. Lord, we make a commitment to acknowledge you as our Lord and to commit our lives to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.